I'm Jake Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. Right, folks, thank you for tuning into another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff Fance, and I'm live on YouTube. We're live right now, which is awesome. I have my good buddy, good friend here, Rendell Eric, the legend himself, the 2021 Big Buck out of Iowa, the freestyling master. I mean, he's been on over, uh, been on a dozen podcasts. He's been on 10 this year alone. I do recommend going to check out his stuff on the Sportsman Empire, who did three episodes there. He was on the DIY Sportsman five times, and he also was on Talk About It Outdoors. And Rendell has got a lot of information, all these podcasts. And my goal here is to talk about something that is that is not been on any of the other ones because he's got a lot of information and I want you all to I'm encouraging you all to go out there and listen to those podcasts and you'll probably fold a lot, find a lot of information. I know I have. I applied some techniques this weekend on Saturday, got on some, some deer, and then I'll un- go into that story a little bit later and how things went through and the emotional roller coaster I went through through a, a period of time, but. Uh, this year has been quite interesting because both Rendell and I have been sick. He got COVID right at the beginning of uh, the kickoff of Nebraska. I got sick. I had walking pneumonia kicked off right when this, when the season started off. So that put me underneath the water for a while. And I just kind of just maintained being healthy and, and just shooting. And now I'm just kind of focused and maintaining that uh, consistency that I want to be out in the woods as much as I possibly can. So I'm pretty excited about that. And man, Randall, watch it, dude. How you been? You healthy? Yeah, I'm good to go now, man. That's good. So you were mentioning to me that you you made a couple of trips out to Missouri. How was uh, how was that? Tell us about those trips. Um, it was good. I got a lot of intel. It was really hot though. The deer movement was pretty uh non non-existent. Honestly, they weren't moving very far from their beds. I did a lot of uh, scouting. I hunted some off of last year's data because I kind of hunted the same area last year a little bit. So I was checking some areas where I found a lot of buck bedding and things, uh, getting my bearings on like new food source switches and stuff because I didn't make it down there to postseason scout in the spring. So for the first couple of days, I kind of did that. Met a lot of really cool people at the campground um, and just started diving in on a bunch of buck beds that I knew where they were at and seen a lot of deer. I passed up a lot of smaller bucks. Um, I did find some mature bucks finally on the second weekend I went down there. I was getting more on the mature bucks. There was a, like a micro cold front, I call it. It was like a 20 degree. It's like 103 degrees and then it dropped to like 50 degrees for like one day. And a lot of the deer came out and I was glassing in the mornings and uh I found, I got a couple of mature bucks located. Um, when I get done in Iowa, I'm going to slide back down there and try to harvest one of them. 
So tell me about, you ran into a group of kids over there in Missouri. Once you, you were telling me about it, tell the audience about that experience. Yeah, I just pulled in this little podunk middle of nowhere campground and uh, there was a couple of kids that were staying there too. And I just walked over and introduced myself and uh, they looked like they seen a ghost when I told them what my name was. And they, they just been listening to a lot of my podcasts and they knew who I was. So it was kind of interesting to me because I'm not used to that yet. People know who I am and uh, just in the middle of nowhere, it's crazy. And they were off in Alabama. So it was pretty interesting, like just how small of a community the hunting world is when you run into guys all the way from Alabama and Missouri. And they were great guys, like shared a lot of intel. We'd stay up at night and they'd ask me a bunch of questions, just a camaraderie and friendships made it was really awesome experience and it's a lot of like different aspects of about whitetail hunting that I love just going out of state and stuff because you meet all kinds of new people and that camp atmosphere and it was really awesome just to meet some younger guys that were really getting after it I mean they're putting the miles on they're really trying to learn to hunt the way that I hunt too so that was really cool um, I got to really dive into a lot of different tactics and uh, encourage them. So it was like a mentorship kind of thing that I think's missing in hunting a lot sometimes. You know, people are like uh, trying to keep all the intel to themselves, but I was more like, you know, mentoring ships, sharing intel, um, even if it was a spot that I knew about that they found that I really liked. I still was like, yeah, this is where the buck set up this is why he's there this is how you can move in on him and kill him and they tried a lot of different tactics and things so it was really interesting to see how their uh their hunts and stuff played out and then i could bounce around based on what they were doing or what they didn't find or whatever it was really cool so you were you'd mentioned to me they made a few mistakes do you want to break down what you found comical about what they did um they dove right into the buck bedding like a, day, a couple of days before season opened and then right when season opened, instead of scouting the perimeter of the bedding areas that they assume were bedding, they were just crashing right in there and then leaving their scent um, and just bumping a bunch of bucks and stuff like that, which is fine. I mean, sometimes you have to do that and it's, it's just a learning experience. I mean, sometimes you have to do that to know where they're at and you can do a bump and dump on them but that early in the season i don't know i just like to scout my way in, look for sign and stuff like that but i don't know they thought it was comical too i thought it was funny so i mean lesson learned right so that's how i learned i didn't have a mentor either so i've made millions of mistakes in the woods before i learned like all right well i keep doing this and this is happening so i need to not do this you know so it's just interesting like I've made more mistakes than most people have because I never had anybody teach me how to hunt. Really. I just figured it out on my own. Plus, you know, information out there on the web and just talking to people. I'm the same boat. You are. I spent a lot of time doing a lot of my stuff, my old stuff. And I know from previous podcasts, you were talking, you were a military family. So you bounced, bounced around. My, my dad wasn't much of a deer hunter. He was this like, kind of like a, just did the muzzle season. 
that's about it. They had a place to go. They walked out in private land. So there wasn't a whole lot of scouting in that aspect. But what we did do is we spent a lot of time in the woods going after squirrels and rabbits and then also going after pheasants. So that's what he was really passionate about. That's what found him a little bit more excited. And so that's where I learned a lot of my techniques from him. We're doing that. So I kind of get a little bored sitting in the tree stand. So being on public land, it gives you an opportunity to kind of bounce around. I do a lot of ground and pound. Like I have a, I'll either bring out just a chair. Or I will do, or I'll bring out my ghost blind and make it work through that way. Because you had mentioned uh, that being able just to be able to, when you're in your stand, you you actually utilize your background. And you actually, th- you don't think about like the tree or anything. You figure out what's the background of you to make you blend into the area. And I thought like, that's really smart. I, I, I don't, never recognized it. That's something that I did. And it's like, huh, I do, I do that a lot, of, a lot of times. Like, I will actually, like, I'll back into a brush or a book, like, walk into a bush backwards, set up a tripod, kind of comb out this little dome here if it, if it try to not to disturb the environment and just kind of sit in there and see what all happens. I've had some really fun experiences. Like, I've had does 7, 11, 12 yards out in front of me. And they get, I used to use a um, uh, nose jammer. And then we get curious. And I'd spray, I'd spray like uh, like in a horror movie where they do this the the circle of salt. I just do a circle yeah. of nose jammer, and they would come right up. And it's like the the fun ones are they're, they're staring right at you, and they're like something there, but I don't know what it is. Like I, I can see it, and you all you like. I, there was uh, one hunt last year where I, she w- I thought she was at. Uh, 25 yards and so i I, or or i thought she was at 30 yards so i put my i set it up to 30 which she was actually 25 and this was the same day i didn't bring my rangefinder out and draw back and i do a clear miss over her but the the what the most profound experience was not having anything in front of me i had to grab my bow like slow motion and get it up and then get it back to full draw all while being practically wide open but she knows something was there so it's like waiting waiting for her head to dip then come back and dip and just kind of play because she'd freak she'd fake me out a couple times it's fun i'm sure you have similar stories to that uh yeah i i run into some interesting things with just like window spot you know, i do a lot of crazy setups like trees and places people would never imagine a setup in um sometimes i put a ghillie suit on and i'll just sit in the crp corn i'm just whatever it takes kind of guy like if i have to be on the ground i'm going to be on the ground if sometimes i'll carry a chair in with me even with my saddle and my sticks and all that just in case i need it because a lot of times i already I've already been in the area, so I kind of know like, okay, well, I might actually have to be on the ground here. So sometimes I'll carry a chair. Um, I don't use any sense stuff at all. I, I don't mess with that stuff because it, it'll fool like does and stuff, but the mature bucks, they don't like any of that stuff. So I, it just blows them out. So I, agree. I, mess- I stopped using it. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, like yesterday, I was in a crazy tree, like a god-awful tree. <laughs> I was in there like a human Tetris. You know, I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to shoot out of this thing. But I was like, I had to be in it, so that's what I was in. So just setting up crazy stuff. I've had deer just walk right out to me three yards away, and I'm just knelt down in some grass. I mean, if you don't move, they'll kind of like do that head bob and kind of stomp to try to get you to have a reaction. But... 
and not looking a deer in the eyes helps. Like I just keep my head down or I close my eyes, you know, when they're staring at me and then just don't move and they'll move on by you sometimes. But every now and again, you get that big old nanny doe that's smart and she's just going to light you up no matter what you do. Oh man, I've had my fair share of nanny does. My favorite one was a story of a 2013 opening day gun season in Minnesota, negative 13 degrees. And it was early in the morning. I, and I was shooting light. I, I watch her come through and I see her through the thing. She sees me. I just see her stomping and she takes the whole herd and goes around. Well, later that day at 10 o'clock, I got my, they were, I was told to go sit, go sit here and they were going to do a drive. And sure enough, she comes out. 30 yards heart shot she rears up and she drops and yeah it's like i got my revenge because it's a why not it's like she, it's like you get the one of the most oldest does in the pack and then as we take off her cape in the hindquarters somebody had shot her in the ass with the uh, with the slug and so it managed to heal itself over and it's like they oh, are wow. such a remarkable animal just even even to repair themselves after getting a shot in the in the keister and uh, the the fun side about the story, I got a deer and on the same drive. And then my buddy, there's a there was a buck that came around the backside to a different uh, holler, and he shot the buck. It was an eight pointer. It was his first buck in a long time, so he was pretty ecstatic about that. Yeah, sometimes I think those older does are smarter than a lot of the bucks. They're really hard to hunt and kill a lot of times. They're smart. I had a. They'll even pick up your ground scent sometimes, like even not walking on it just like the thermals or the wind will be blowing a certain way and they might catch that ground scent or if you like we're talking about ground hunting like sometimes if you break off some stuff i almost feel like they uh they can catch that scent from all that trees being freshly broken so even if i don't think they're smelling me because i've actually went and i've broke open a spot to try to hunt in it and it didn't work out so i moved and it could have been the ground scent, but I felt like they just caught that uh, that freshly broken branch smell because, I don't know, I think some of the deer learn, like, a lot of guys go in there and they clear all these shooting lanes and stuff. I, deer pick up on that really fast, so those older deer got more experience with that kind of stuff. So I've sometimes I think they bust you because you actually clear too much or you break off a lot of stuff when you're trying to hide. And probably change the pheromone levels so this way they're able to figure it all out. Because I'm I'm assuming that if you cut grass, it's it leaves an odor. So I'm same thing should apply to breaking a branch in a tree. If you break a a couple of branch down or you cut something out with a saw, it's going to re release that that uh, smell that they're going to know and pick up on. And then that's where they'll like a camera, they'll completely avoid you, walk all the way around you, and you'll. Never know that they either you you were the cause of them completely avoiding you. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting how smart some deer are and how dumb other ones are. Some are just like, "What was that deer thinking?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> they all they all got their own unique personalities. That's why it's like really hard to have like one thing that's always going to work because all deer are different and they all do different things and. They all prefer to live different ways. And, you know, some are like really bullies and they're just really bold and some are really skittish and scared and they don't come out a lot. So it's it's really interesting the different tactics you got to deploy and really learn a buck.
Yeah, no, this the guy, this guy right here, I shot here a couple of years ago. He was the bully buck, but if you look how thick that neck was, and he he fought a lot of bucks off that property that I used to hunt in Minnesota. And one, I took him, and then I go out and check my trail cams a couple of weeks later. I have like four new bucks that I've never seen before. And they're little small ones, like little four keys, maybe a little basket six, never seen before. And all of a sudden they're there. It's like, explains why I'd never seen him before, because he just kind of dominated the entire area. Yeah, they push a lot of deer off. A lot of videos on YouTube and TV, and even running the cell cams and all that. They'll be, they'll be get that one buck in there, and you want to try to get them out quick because they do push a lot of bucks off your property. So, if you see a bully buck, you should, you know, put a target on him pretty fast and try to get him out of there. Oh, definitely. No, you've been how long you've been hunting saddles, and in, in, or should say how long you've been hunting in saddles. Um, this is my fourth year, I think. So what made you decide to switch from using, I don't know if you were using those lone wolf ones or those other stands or climbers to transition into a, a saddle? I was using uh, just tree stands, mobile ones. Well, I used to carry like some ungodly heavy stuff before like there was like really the big shift in the mobile hunting i was already doing it but i was carrying like 60 pound stuff with me wow yeah like some steel sticks and the big old steel like 50 pound tree stands big giant hang-ons but and then i transitioned into some lighter stuff like i ran a lot of the xop stuff and it's still really heavy and uh kind of bulky you get hung up make a lot of noise and plus I'm six foot eight. So man, it's really hard for me to stay still. Cause it's just really hard on my back because my knees sit real so far above my waist. It messes with my back a lot, you know, your sciatic nerves and stuff like that. So I just got tired of feeling like I got run over by a semi truck every time I got out of the tree and I was moving around a lot and I would like stand, sit, stand. I'm more of a sitter when I'm in the tree stand. Cause I feel like you move way less when you're sitting and just like the way I set up, I want to, I'm already predicting where the deer, where the buck's going to come out at. And I just want to draw and shoot. So the saddle is just different. It was just something I wanted to try, but just because I heard a lot of the information about it, talked to a lot of people. I tried it out at like the Iowa deer classic when Tether was there uh, the first year. And, um, thought it was a lot more comfortable and a more mobile less weight and I didn't because you know how you're going in to like hunt and your tree stands getting hung up on like overhanging branches and you're making all kinds of noise and stuff's getting caught on it so the saddle really eliminated a lot of that for me just going to small low profile and I like to scout before I hunt too on my way in and when you sometimes I'll end up going 10 miles in a place just to find somewhere I want to hunt and over time, you know, that weight will drag you down. Like, I don't care about like micromanaging ounces, but when you shave off, you know, 20, 30 pounds off your setup, man, that's a huge deal right there. And just the stealthiness, because a lot of these bucks bed in like really thick areas or higher elevations, you're climbing ravines, you're jumping creeks, I'm walking through rivers. Like I'm more of the extreme access, whatever it takes. Like if I got to crawl 200 yards through a river bottom, you know, I'm going to do it. Like whatever it takes that no balls, no bucks mentality. 
Oh yeah. I completely understand that. When I would come into a new property and such, I would do the whole, I'd walk the entire perimeter within, within inside Onyx. That's what I've done a couple of times. Now, since I've moved into Wisconsin, it's in, in the lacrosse area, it's all bluff country. So it's like, I, there's, there'll be times where I'm doing 150, 200 foot elevation changes. If not even higher, there's once one, uh, was it two years ago? I went up 600 foot elevation and I sit up on top of a bluff. And then I, then I'm happy to run into somebody up there and I turn into a conversation to, to, I just left. I just like, I didn't want to deal with him. It's like, I, I knew I was in the right being up there, but it's like, you know, he's, he's going to make my life difficult. So it's like, there's no sense in trying to prove that I'm right. So it's like, you know, I'll just go out there. It's like, I already know the guy's name. Like Joel is my DNR guy that runs his pro- piece of property. And it's like, cause it's like, there's uh Farm management land, kind of, it's just like in uh, Iowa, we have CRP, but Wisconsin yeah. farm management land, forest management land. And I knew the guy's name because it's like I've had a had some conversation with him regarding like legalese and stuff like that, where all things are because there's been a, a few times where I've come out to the property and there's no hunting signs. And it's like, well, did something change or anything like that? Because like I bet I pay attention to the DNR website to make sure that the property I'm on is if there's anything that 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 have pulled out of the uh, FML or BLM or yeah, farm management land, I will make sure I don't go do that. Well, this year I've had an email and this today I emailed for the third time asking, okay, there's still trust. There's no hunting signs in here. This is still part of this thing. What's going on? Because apparently telling them to take them down is there is not working. And uh, I wanted him to find, I wanted to find out because it's like, I, I like to mix up because there's a couple places where I can, I can hunt two different sides of the road. It's this way that I'm, I'm not putting so much scent in one area. And plus it's like, I like the, the idea, like after listening to a couple of your podcasts, like why not just freestyle, why not get out there and just try different, different tactics. And that's what I wanted to move into my, then to our, into your, your, your approach with freestyle. Cause most of us all understand what freestyle is, but break it down on what you do when you're, when you park at a new piece of property. Yeah. So I think freestyle is the funnest to me. Cause you know, I'm really big into the postseason scouting and I'm laying in the buck beds and I'm finding a tree ahead of time. And sometimes, you know, I'll have cameras in there or not, or I'll know that buck was in the area. But to me, the funnest is just showing up to a new piece. Like uh, last year in Iowa, I shot my buck October 11th, I think it was. And then literally the next day you can just, I can just show up in another state and just go and just freestyle with nothing in them. If I'm gonna freestyle, I just pull up, I start e-scouting areas, kind of where I wanna go. If I know somebody that lives in the state I'm going to, I might ask for some intel. Like I'm not asking for pins or anything, but I'm just like, hey, like what part of the state seems to have more deer? Uh, Where do you think there's some overlooked stuff? Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I'll just pick something I wanna go hunt. Like it'll be a new terrain or something. And I just show up to the parking lot. I'll e-scout. I'm looking through all my postseason scouting experience on buck bedding. I can pretty much usually pick out a lot of the buck bedding areas. Just looking at a map on my phone, like use Spartan Forge a ton. And I can use a lot of their uh, aerials, UAV and stuff to really hone in and uh, figure out a lot of the buck bedding before I even get there. And then I'll just show up. I'll put everything on my back, put my saddle on, grab my bow first thing in the morning. And then I might 
if it's an elevation spot or more open country, I might glass first just to see if I see any deer moving through. And then I'll, I'll just go scout and just start going to these areas I think are bedding areas. And then I'll start working the perimeter and I'll just start looking for rubs, scrapes, uh, tracks, what kind of crops are around. I'm just trying to get my feel. I'm, I'm scouting for deer, but I'm trying to get my feel for the property at the same time. If I show up in daylight, maybe, you know, I don't get there like at night and then sleep and then go out. I might drive around, try to find all the parking lots, you know, just get a, my bearings around the place. Sometimes I'll do that instead of just jumping right in. And then I'll try to, I start pinning everything and I'm trying to get a feel for like how the whole property lays out. I'm not really diving into like the bedding areas. I'm trying to stay out of them. But if I have to walk by one and that predominant wind's blowing my center there, you know, I don't feel like they're kind of used to pressure. It's public land. So I'll go around. I'll mark if there's any tree stands, things like that. If I notice trash on the ground, any kind of pressure like that. Um, you can even talk to like a DNR officer or some local people like that. But I usually don't do that that much. I kind of just go and just dive right in and just use my... Uh, past experience knowledge to try to figure out what the deer are doing <clears throat> and that's more like um i mean it sounds really easy the way i talk about it i guess but it's really not at the same time like if you don't have the experience i have it'll be a lot harder like picking out like the buck bedding areas so maybe do more like what terrain features are there you know what habitat types i'm looking for more like diversity um what winds i'm going to look ahead of time before i leave i might look at the 10-day forecast and see what winds i'm going to have while i'm going to be there then i know you know the winds the bucks usually bedded based upon the wind in most terrains so the wind over to the back and they're looking out um a lot of the things i've been diving into is a lot of the deer are have been pretty close to parking lots. A lot of guys been going in really deep right off the get go and pushing the deer out and the deer have been paying attention to the parking lot. So I, I've been paying attention to like what's around the parking lot, trying to find overlooked spots like that. And sometimes it's not really that complicated. You can just dive right in there and just pick out a like hill country. You can look for some uh, leeward sides that you think, okay, there's a Northwest wind. They'll be on the South side of the ridge and you can try to slip in there and scout your way in and look for uh, rubs and scrapes going up to bedding is there any acorns dropping what's the primary food source like if you got corn half mile away i'm going to look for like a secondary food source in between and then they have to browse during the day to survive so you got to look for areas that are a little thicker that got like you know different housing sources for them so that's where that diversity comes in that's a way that's a appropriate way to look at that i know uh with onyx that's what I, that's what i'm currently using is that they also have a filter where it turns on the walnut and the acorn trees now yeah. getting back to spartan forge does, does that app put in the locations of parking on crp or public land yeah, I mean, you can see the parking on the aerial. Uh, the public lands are outlined in blue on Spartan Forge, and you can zoom in and find where the parking lots are at. And okay. if you drive around ahead of time, you'll get a feel for it. 
Very nice. I know when I was talking to some of the DNR guys around here, like different counties that, I, that I've scouted in, a lot of them just say if, if, if it's farm management land, BLM, or uh, whatever the case may be, if you can find a spot to pull over and it's not going to be obstructing the, the, the roadway, you're fine. So which is, which is, but I'd rather put it someplace where it's kind of designate, designated because then kind of keeps everybody in the honor system. Cause it's like, when you come in there, if you're the last one in, you'll know all the vehicles are. So if someone comes up missing, kind of see what's going on now. Uh, one thing that um, I learned last year for, I was actually paid more attention to thermals. Cause it's like a, a lot of times when I was, when I hunted in Minnesota, some of the places where I was at, they didn't have much of an elevation change, but oh. now hunting in this bluff, in these valleys and such, I actually really pay attention. Like I have one spot where I like setting in because the sun doesn't hit where I set until almost 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So I've, or not at night, but in the morning, oh, yeah. doing a morning cert because it's yeah. basically how the sun comes up and then it didn't, how it clear, fills the uh, valley full of of sun and it was it was unique to see that because it's like i was sitting right up there i watched a whole bunch of does walk off from one little corner of the area i was about 100 yards away so way out of range but it's just interesting like, like i was up there until 11 o'clock and then it's like where i was setting it then i finally feel that that shift of the cold air and the warmth thermals pushing everything up and out that that was a very like interesting experience because you have a lot of experience, a lot of that stuff. And I think that's where being as going with a freestyle uh, attitude, it kind of gives you that opportunity to, to, to learn a lot. And the best thing to do it is for, for hunting is trial by fire, because it's the best way you're going to remember this stuff. Cause I've spooked up some big bucks. And it's like, after listening to some of your podcasts, like, huh, that makes more sense. Now, now I understand like what's all going on. And uh, this Sunday when I was out hunting, uh, I was out tracking a doe. I was, I come across a whole bunch of beds and a whole bunch more beds, stuff like that. It's like, Hmm, these are very interesting. But uh, my question to you is that how do you, how can you tell, do you have some way of, of uh, knowledge of like how, how old the bed is? Like, is there a way to determine like if the bed's fresh within that first 24 hours or if it's old, like it's seven days old, do you have any tried and true things that you've learned that helps pick up on those small hints? Yeah, so on the thermal deal, we'll go into that first. I carry tons of milkweed with me. I'm like a milkweed dropping freak. So I call it, a lot of guys call it wind mapping. So just not the primary winds. I'm I'm mapping thermals too. Like I'll even go in and scout like first thing in the morning before the sun really gets up or even I'm scouting until dark. I'll drop the thermal, see what they do. And you learn that. Um you can listen to a podcast or watch a video on it, but you never know what it's doing in that spot till you're out there and you're dropping the milkweed and you might, there'll be instances where you'll see a buck and you'll be like, well, why is he bedded there on that wind? That doesn't make any sense. But when you get up on the bed and you're dropping the milkweed and you're seeing, then you're understanding the winds doing something different than what the main wind was doing at the parking lot or the thermals have some kind of influence into that. And uh, even agricultural flatland has thermals. If there's a creek or a ditch or a little low spot, it'll actually pull the thermals. And you'll notice a lot of the mature bucks will come out of that little low spot because they can smell the whole field first before they walk out into it. So that's something to look into water. 
moving water, even a, a pond or a lake, it'll change uh, the thermals of the area. A big river system will pull thermals like crazy. So you might have a totally different thermal effect if you're hunting like, I don't know, the Mississippi, Missouri River, something like that. It could pull like the thermals for like a mile or two almost sometimes. Really? That kind of that outrageous? Now, that learning that that radius on it, did you, did you hunt some water systems throughout Iowa then? Is that how you kind of picked up on yes. that? Uh, sometimes I hunt the Missouri River. So it's got, you know, after heavy rains and the river's really pumping really fast, it'll really influence the thermal pool and the river bottoms, like, uh, you know, up to the lowest hills and stuff. All right. So pull them a lot harder. So you might be able to influence that in the bluff country when you're hunting a buck or something. Because you might think you don't have the thermals, but the water's pulling it a certain way. So you can actually use that to your advantage. Um, like high pressure system, when the front comes through and you get that super high pressure, it'll pull your thermal straight up into the atmosphere. So you can almost hunt on the wrong wind sometimes because you're getting that super hard thermal pull. Uh, just little things like that. So always be learning and checking and running the milkweed and stuff like that. Um, what was the other question? Sorry. <laughs> oh, how can you determine the, the freshness or the oh. age of a bed? Yeah, um, if it's beat down, bare dirt, like something's been living there, you know, if something lays there long enough, the vegetation will die off. It'll be like cleared up, smashed down. So you can, I can tell just by like the impression how often the bed's being used usually. Because, you know, and I don't know if you've ever seen where you walk up and it's like green all the way around or everything's fresh and then a sudden there's just like a super dry like big round dirt spot you know it's almost like if you laid a piece of plywood out in your yard for a couple of months and then you pulled it out all the grass is dead and it's just bare dirt you know what i mean so you just have that bare dirt indention where that plywood was in your yard mm -hmm. so that's like a really well used bed and a lighter bed won't be as defined and then hill country, when you get all the fresh leaves, I actually like to find my beds in the morning, like mid-morning, because the dew from the night will still be all over the ground, except for where that deer was laying. And you'll kind of see the leaves uh, smashed down and a little impression, because the hill country beds are really hard to see sometimes. Like guys walk right by them all the time. But if you're watching that, that morning dew, and you notice that little dry spot and you'll see that little bed in there. And it's just like slight impression. You can pick up on the bed in hill country a lot easier. So when you're going uh, out there, well, uh, when you, before you, cause you can, I know you mentioned October, you only do afternoon sets. So when you're out there in the mornings, when do you go out there? Do you go at 10, 11 o'clock or how do you know when the deer's up out of their bed and you can come and kind of have that, uh, gather that detail? Um, sometimes I just go first thing, first light. I'll be out there, gray light, glass, and moving through. Um, they usually bed based on the wind. So if I have a wind where I know that buck's not going to be in there, I might just slide in there and check his bed out if I need to, if I don't feel confident in exactly where that bed's at. That's where you can do some different tactics 
like you could bump, you know, there's a bump and dump, you could slide in close. Um, and if it's a newer area, you might have to do that to know exactly where that bed is and do the exit routes and stuff like that. Um, but just that, you can even do that like postseason scouting, like the morning, first thing in the morning that do will be done. In season scouting, the deer's usually in its bed. I'm not doing that as much. But if you bump the deer out, like sometimes you'll just see them, you know, you'll be walking in hill country. There are two ridges over and you skyline yourself by accident. You know, you'll see the white tails bounding off. Well, I already blew them out. So I'm just going to go find their beds. So every time I blow a deer out, I go directly to where it was to find where its bed was at. And then I'm going to map that bed. So then to find that bed, you'll see that morning dew will be gone in that little area. And then you'll be able to tell, okay, well, that buck was bedded right here that I just blew out. Then you can mark that, find his exit routes. And then if I get that same wind again, I'll be right back in there, try to manipulate that. And uh, the morning hunting in uh, October is something I'm really trying to figure out, honestly, because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, that's a lot of sits you're giving up by not going out in the mornings in October. I mean, I could be double sitting. So if I hunted like 15 days, say 15 evenings, well, I could have hunt. 15 mornings and I could have had 30 hunts in already but I, I think uh, a lot of it's going to be based on weather for me so far if there's a cold front coming in it's going to be really cold in the morning I'll get in there or when I was in Missouri and it was like 103 degrees well the deer are going to move way more in the morning but I for me you have to get in there super early because a lot of times I think they're going to beat you back to the beds and then you got to worry about where your thermals are pooling at and things like that. It's just a lot harder to slide into them in the morning unless like if you have Intel and you got a camera out there and the bucks, you're getting pictures of him in the morning in daylight. I mean, why not go in there in the morning and get him <laughs> between where he's bedding and the camera and you're going to kill him because he's coming through there in the morning. But a lot of times I find that mobile hunting doing the freestyle thing in the morning you're making a ton of noise it's hard to see i've set up in trees in the morning in the dark and then when i got daylight i couldn't even shoot my bow because i didn't have any shooting lanes so i had to climb back down and move so if i do hunt mobile in the morning i hunt really low one two sticks i stay below you know i want to be below that canopy the deer's not expecting me to be there I'm usually catch it, trying to figure out like the J hook or I'll be right over its bed if I have some kind of terrain feature or you can do a transitional area. Where I hunt at in Iowa, it's more like open country and a lot of the setup from the parking lot, you have to walk through the food. So that is a big reason why I don't hunt in the morning too because when you go through the food, the deer are there. And then you're blowing them out everywhere. There's no point. I mean, you're just ruining your hunt. So I'd rather go in in the evening. I can see, scout my way in. Now, hill country, I do like you can hunt in the morning because you can come in behind them when they're in the food and you can get on the ridges and maybe down in those thermal hubs and stuff and catch them coming back. But a lot of the spots I hunt, you know, it's more open and just ag land mixed and it's way harder to get in on the deer in the mornings but i do try it sometimes i'll wait until gray light like you know all the deer move off the fields and the staging areas and i'll just fly in there like as quick as i can and just get set up sometimes i'll hunt a spot in the evening 
and leave everything in the tree my sticks my platform my bow everything and i'll just walk out with my saddle and then i'll come right back to it in the morning and hunt the same exact spot because maybe well that buck didn't come out in the evening maybe he's not going to come by here and catch my ground scent and then he'll come back in this way in the morning and i can get a shot on him so that's something else that you could try to do that's actually really intelligent to be able to, to actually put that forethought to it one technique i adapted this this saturday's this past saturday's hunt is that i went in low-key i brought in just my bow my binos a knife and uh we have i we have deal with predators here so i do bring a sidearm with me but that's it that's all i came in there with and it's like i felt a lot more comfortable a lot less opportunities to make noises like uh, a couple of years ago sitting in a tree stand i accidentally put my foot down on a buckle and Four eyes, just four ears go right up and look right at me. It's like, shit. (laughs) So it's, and then all of a sudden you just see the tails and walk in the other direction. It's like, son of a gun, if there was only a guy over that other corner over there, he'd be, he'll be in seventh heaven. I've dropped cell phones, range finders, releases out of my pocket. They slap your platform loud. I've dropped sticks, you name it, I've done it. I've, broken branches like a dummy i've reached up and grabbed one and pulled myself up and it snaps right off you know i'm like oh this is done i just grab my crap and i just go to a different spot because i'm like that buck probably heard that he ain't coming out here till after dark definitely Um, man sometimes i'll still hunt it anyways i'm like oh maybe i could get away with that noise but i'm i'm a minimalist at heart like i don't want to carry a bunch of crap or manage all of it. I want really simple, streamlined, very efficient setup. I don't care as much about speed because I feel like the faster you go, you get really clumsy and you get loud. And I'm setting, like in Missouri, I was setting up 50 yards away from some of these bucks that were bedded. So you can't make any noise. So you gotta go real slow, be very uh, tactical about all your movements. And just, you know, kind of be like a ninja when you get in there. And other times, if you're hunting like the right in a pinch point or something, who really cares if you make a little bit of noise? Because that buck's usually not close by. But the way I hunt within that 100 yards of bedding, you know, all my gear's got to be ultra quiet. And I have to really watch where I'm walking and what I'm doing the whole entire time and try to get in there without making any unnatural noises. Yeah, that's that is the. Probably the th- I think it's the first lesson most hunters learn about setting in a tree stand or ground hunting is like making sure they go the extra mile to clean up their area beforehand and such. I've only I've always seemed like I get away with a little bit more movement when I'm, or when I'm moving around from spot to spot is when the wind's up really moving, yeah. the leaves are cooking. I find myself like not as not as scared to like I'm bored, get up and move to a different spot, and then just kind of playing working with the wind to that spot to that to my next area because i've done that a few mornings where i'll set one spot from from uh sunrise to about eight or nine then i'll move to another spot because it's like well i know there's deer coming from another spot because i know at that point in time the thermals have changed so i could sit up above and then they'll be coming below me it depends if there's a water source like i'll 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 do that every once in a while and what is your uh do you you do you prefer do you like hunting near water sources or do you kind of steer away from them? I let the buck dictate where I'm hunting. Oh, that's true. I'm, Good take, point. I'm taking the game to the buck. Like wherever that buck is, <laughs> that's where I'm going to go. That's why I've been spending time like 
scouting in the postseason and different terrain types I'm not familiar with learning yeah all the betting how they move and all because I want to be really well-rounded so when I go out of state I just want to feel like I can dive in and still have some keys to you know some keys to the driver's seat and I can get in there on them um the wind thing there'll actually be a lot of spots where I won't hunt if it's not windy because you're just not getting in there quiet enough so wind's like my favorite I love high wind days and a lot of times I might not even set up I know where the bucks are betting at I might crawl in there and try to kill them in their bed off the ground because I have that wind cover making all the noise all the movement around me you can get away with a lot more like you know you get those dry leaves and stuff so hill country i love it when it's windy corn if you're in ag land pretty much anywhere with the high winds i really like and um i actually think guys set up too late in the day when i go hunting i go in really early because i want to get in there on those day winds because the wind's always up in the middle of the day that's when i actually like to go in the setup i'll set up way earlier than i need to because i feel like the deer are kind of sleeping you know how uh, mm -hmm. your uh, wife or something tries to wake you up and she's having a conversation with you and you don't remember any of it and you're like all groggy well, i feel like a buck's the same way he's just laying in his bed he's asleep he's up looking around you might accidentally make a noise but he's just like oh what's that you know i don't know what that was and he goes right back to sleep where if you wait until a lot of guys go in like two, three hours before dark, that buck's awake. He knows he's going to move soon. So he's at high alert. He's listening. He's watching. He's seeing what the other deer are doing. So I feel like you get away with a lot more if you go in in the middle of the day and get set up early. And you have that day when to hide your noise, your, you know, your movements. So you can get really close to that buck and get up the tree and set up and then be you're all dialed in with your system and you're comfy. And then when he comes out, man, you're ready to go instead of hurrying too. Cause you're like, Oh man, it's going to get dark soon. I got a rush. And then you're making even more noise. You're walking really fast. You're making, you stepping on sticks because you're in a hurry. So I, my advice to a lot of guys is go in a lot earlier than what you need for sure. I, that's what I do. I go usually, if I'm doing an evening set, I'll go in at one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Cause this way, then I know I'm going to get there. Like you advised with the peak wind, uh, playing the wind to my favor. Like you did, most of them are already got done eating. So they're going napping and then I'll, and, I'll, and then I will go the extra I'll actually, but training, I've been hitting the gym myself. So this way I can actually make these climbs, these elevation changes to the bluff country without being winded because I mean, that stuff will echo but uh, no, no. Sw swinging out wider than I need to. So if I'm coming into one area, like I'll do a big J hook. Um, let's see here on Saturday, I was setting like I would uh, situations like, you know, how we, we've made noises and spoke Adele. Well, that's the exact same thing I did Saturday. And she was coming down the tree line, coming right at me. She was only four yards away. And all of a sudden I see the tail go up and it's like, son of a gun. And at that point in time, it's like, I only got maybe 45 minutes or yeah, 45 minutes until the, shooting lights over with i'm just gonna stand the rest of the time and lo and behold that doe comes right back around that's the doe i shot and i 
watched her come through. I ranged out where she was going to be at, knew she'd be at 25 yards, and I just happened to hit low and hit that pocket right in front of the heart and missed all of the arteries there. And we thought we had good blood. I had good pictures of blood, and it's just as we got going, the, the thing was is that she never stopped running after I shot her. There's no spot where she bedded down or like, cause I mean, I didn't, I sit in my, my uh, tree stand for another solid 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And then I, then I let a buddy of mine know, Hey, I shot a doe. It's like, if you're bored, you can come on out. He didn't show up until again for another half hour. So it's like, I didn't leave my area where I shot her for almost remember, an hour and a half. But as we were going through this, some of that, and, and he parked where she actually ran right by. But as we went through everything, we tracked her for 300 yards downhill then uphill again and then yesterday then we stopped hunting because we lost all sight of uh blood we had no idea where she went because she opened it to field and she just booked it well went back out sunday morning with my wife and i decided like well i'm well I, we're, we're we're giving up our morale's running low so i come around this this embankment where it's just it probably had a solid oh 50 foot increase of it just like steep angle going up and I come up and I see a spot of blood. And then there's like a, it was decent size amount. And then it got thinner and thinner. And then that's when I knew she went across the road to uh, the other side. And it's like, we never, uh, we, I tracked her another 110 yards looking for blood. And then she crossed the road. There's no blood on the road or no blood on the uh, thing. So it's like one of the things where it's probably, she's going to hopefully figure cross fingers. She'll heal or, there's there was two packs while we were out there uh, Saturday night just BSing and found out there was two packs out there coyotes so it's like she may be she some coyotes may eat like kings one night. Yeah, those coyotes can get on them quick. Those those briskets hits that are usually non fatal and uh, I really uh, appreciate you taking that extra time to actually try to find that deer because I've uh, I've already seen in Iowa and read a bunch about guys like only looking 70 yards and then giving up on finding a deer already than to go out and shoot another one. Or I've read a lot of crazy stories <laughs> over the weekend of just like, I don't know, a guy shot like three deer and didn't recover two of them. So he shot that other one. And then like, they're not doing the due diligence that they need to do. Like when you shoot an animal, you should do everything in your power mm -hmm. to find that animal out of respect and for the animal and just as an outdoorsman, as a sportsman, like it's our duty. If you're going to take something's life, you should go to all ends to try to find that animal you chose to kill. So that's one thing that was uh, when you said that it just brought up in my mind, like, mm -hmm. you know, we chase these animals. We think about them every day, like to some crazy level that I do. You know, my whole life is based around <laughs> a white tailed deer, you know. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, why shoot a deer and then only track it 70 yards and then give up on it, you know, and not, you know, keep going or lay it, let it lay overnight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I guess I, I just don't under, understand that when guys do that. And I've seen it and heard about it a lot, you know, over the weekend and uh, even down in Missouri, it just kind of bothers me, I guess. But I don't know. You just brought that up. I don't want to. Oh, yeah, get I get it. Box. I mean, it's, 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 it was frustrating. Cause like I practiced an awful lot and shooting an awful lot all season long. And, but, uh, I, I was, it was, I was blessed to have 
not only another friend of mine live in center come out, but he, he called reinforcements, brought another guy out to come out. So we, there was three of us looking for it, scattering all over the area. And like the, the, the mm-hmm. my buddy Ryan that came out with me, I was leading and he had a stick. And so what, every time we found blood stick dropped, and then I'd go out a little bit further and I'd look for more, find it. Then we move the stick again. So we, we took it chunk by chunk by chunk so this way then we wouldn't lose track of it so this way then we can always yeah. go back and it was and he was recovering from an appendix surgery he still came out it's like he said i won't be able to carry drag her out but i will at least carry your bow and it's like sweet man it's like i appreciate it and then uh it, it was we 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 all went we we stayed out there for a while doing it and then then that following morning my wife came out so we had three four sets of eyes looking for the blood and it's just one of those things where it's just like each up, but it happens. Like then uh, my father-in-law, he messaged me yesterday and he's telling me, he's like, yeah, I've lost six bucks over the last 40 years. And it's like, I still remember every one of them. So it's like, it's a, it's one of those things that a sportsman knows the, tr- the, 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 the treacherous emotional roller coaster a guy yeah. goes through, or, or I should say a sportsman goes through. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of talented women out there too. I mean, I've seen some beautiful bucks over the weekend harvested in Iowa and, and Illinois and out there and no, Illinois doesn't open yet for another few more, two more weeks, I think. And then, but out there in Ohio, cause they open up the same weekend as Iowa does. And man, it's just, it's one of those things. Well, I, I need to say I'm taking, I'm taking about a week off of going hunting, but then tomorrow I head out to Okaboji to uh, spend a week out there fishing with my own man and, and a, a bunch of other guys that uh, got invited to, they've been doing this trip this biannual trip for the last 20 years at Tokoboji. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, we, it's usually in between 11 to 15 guys. Sometimes even more than that. We'll they get a couple of, they have a standing reservation. So it's like, as soon as the trip's over, they're already booking for the following May and then October. And then just kind of, it's like, they just got a standing reservation and uh, the resort slash hotel had has such a good rapport with them that like they kind of let them have the free run of the place about how uh they do deal with everything because just have how well they the mutual respect that goes back and forth and oddly enough this trip's only cost me like 150 bucks i'm thinking i'm gonna spend more money in gas than i will on the trip that's that's happened sometimes yeah <laughs> I, i'm just excited because it's like i was hoping for this deer to bring with me and this we have this fresh venison and like i had a buddy of mine like waiting for me to come over because he's never broken down a deer before so it's like i'll gut it out there in the field and i'll bring it back we'll hoist up in the garage and we'll sit there and, and spend the rest of the night burn the midnight oil and like teaching him how to cape it and and cutting all the meat and showing how to break down all that fun stuff it's just it's i like teaching that stuff because it's so rewarding and plus i'm teaching somebody a life skill that's gonna yeah. like at least they may they may forget but once they start cutting forward and cutting into things then that muscle that memory kind of comes back because it's a a very impressionable situation when you're when you when you're when you're young going through it or when you're adult going through it it's something you're going to retain that information and it's just but it's the environment that i create and that that really solidifies the impression kind of like with you being a teacher like bring impression giving a positive impression to all these kids that it's going to hopefully last them a lifetime yeah, I mean, that's what you hope for anyway. Sometimes you don't know if you're making that difference or not. And um, yeah, and going back to the doe real quick, man, bow hunting's hard, man. There's so much happening. It's a live moving animal and you're got emotions, you're breathing, you're shaking, you're holding that bow back and you never know what the animal's going to do. Sometimes you don't see a branch. I mean, if you hunt long enough, it's going to happen. But there's a, 
you know what I mean? There's like, okay, like every now and again, it's going to happen. But sometimes there's just like a horrible rate, you know, some guy will be like, oh, I wanted 30 deer, you know, and you're like, what the heck is this guy doing? I mean, you should be efficient and competent in the woods if you're going to be, you know, hunting. And like I said, do the due diligence the best you can to be as accurate and as skilled as you can be. But it happens. I mean, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've seen some deer shot in places where you think that deer's got to be dead and it never does. Like it's some incredible, incredible things. Like there's some pictures you see floating around where like, heck, how the heck did that deer live? Like it's just crazy how some of these deer make it anyways, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you'll hear stories about a guy, you know, shot a buck and the buck had like, three bullet wounds and like two arrows in it and stuff just like just crazy stuff like that and uh going back to what you were talking about like you're going to teach your uh, buddy the process the cape the deer out and stuff like that uh one of my buddies ryan took his son out you know bow hunting in michigan and they they sat 30 minutes and they shot a big doe and just he took some incredible photos of him and his son in this doe. And just for, you know, his son to go through that with his dad. And then even when they got back, you know, he took them through the process of, Hey, this is how you, you know, cape it and you cut it up and they made hamburger out of it. And that's something I never had because my dad wasn't a deer hunter. I mean, I think my dad took me squirrel once, maybe some groundhogs, but my dad was more of a fisherman. So, man, just seeing that had a big impact on me, you know, as a just me not having that as a kid and being a teacher, man, it was almost like that's memories that neither one of them will ever forget. It's almost like, man, would you trade a 200 inch buck to have that moment with your son? You know what I mean? Like, sometimes it's not always about like big bucks and stuff. It's about mentorship. And just the memories you can make with like family members, your best friend, your son. So sometimes I think, you know, we can get a little off track with things a little bit, but that was just a really awesome hunt that really uh, made me think about things over the weekend. Oh, with you, with me and those gentlemen down there, oh, you're with your son, up, your friend up there in uh, Michigan. Yeah, it's, I get it. So uh, what do you got going on for the future here? I know uh, when I listened to you on the, Thing as a DIY sportsman, you were you there's a 200 class buck you're chasing there in Iowa, right? Yeah, I found, I found him last year and been running around trying to find him. I think the crop rotation uh, play it has affected me a little bit because you know I think corn's king, man. I don't care what anybody says, like. <laughs> all these places when there's corn i'm finding giants and big bucks when there's beans there they're gone oh yeah good luck so it's man it's just putting those puzzle pieces where did he shift to some bucks are still shifting right now last year i didn't pick him up until uh second week october so is he gonna show back up in the same places second week october you know i got some cameras out just waiting to pick him up uh waiting we got a big cold front coming this weekend it's i gonna saw be, that yeah 
like 29 degrees a couple of mornings this weekend it's gonna be it's gonna be great it's gonna be getting rowdy it's the time to be out so it's like man do i want to jump in on some other bucks i found that are more like you know that 150 to 170 range or do i want to go no balls no bucks and just dive in on this 200 and hope he's there but if he's not there i mean i'm not out anything because i can just go right back onto those other bucks that are smaller and get on them but a 200 inch buck is pretty rare to find on public land so it's almost worth taking the gamble and just doing it um so yeah i'm gonna stay here in iowa until i tag out i mean who wouldn't i mean it's iowa right (laughs) yeah exactly i'm not gonna go hunt somewhere else when i can be hunting iowa so once i get done in iowa i'll probably drop back down to missouri to try to get on one of those mature bucks i found or I might take some random trip somewhere. I was thinking like maybe Oklahoma. I was mm-hmm. thinking about Ohio, but they have that really bad EHD come through the last month or so. Yeah, and Indiana too. They've been getting pretty hard with that. Yeah, I think Maryland got it really bad as oh, well. Oh, really? And so I'm probably going to veer away from those states just because the EHD thing. Um, mm-hmm. I might jump into Illinois, like maybe Southern Illinois. I could go into Nebraska and hunt there since I didn't get to early season because I was sick. Um, or I could go up to Dakotas, Wisconsin. I was thinking about maybe Wisconsin might be fun. I got come on up here, man. Up I got a place for you. you. I have a I have a I have a bedroom, so you, you 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 that that takes care of half your bill, and then I can get in addition to Onyx, and we can shoot. We can show you all of the hunt land because I we're and I also have a a big I think it's like a three thousand uh, acre woods that's oh, like five wow. minutes away. That I haven't even looked at yet. I was like, I was looking on the on on uh, the DNR website today, and it's like, well, there's parking here, there's parking here, there's parking there. I could drive through here. It's like this could be doable. Yeah, I think all that cattails and marsh and everything up there would be cool. Are you more like uh, Western Wisconsin, or are you in the marshland? Oh yeah, that's uh, that's up by Trumpola, where the where the big bucks are usually shot. Tr- tr- historically, they're up over there. So yeah, all I'm all uh, western side of that. So there's oh, okay. a lot of opportunities. So and when you're talking about uh, uh, a how a water source or like having multiple like a river system that runs through it, like because I'm only like lacrosse is right on the Mississippi. So you yeah. there is a spot where you can hunt some marshland, some swampland, but also dealing with the Black River and such in the Mississippi. So you have some opportunities there for it to really add it in. And plus the tag is only 160 bucks over the counter for a buck tag. I mean that's yeah, ridiculously geez. cheap. <laughs> Minnesota Minnesota's the same thing. Minnesota's 160, but you jump down well a non-resident Iowa's like after all sudden said and done, you're out about a thousand bucks. And if you jump right. over to Illinois, it's about 500, 600 there. So it's kind of a, a uh uh deal when you come up here it's just gas yeah that ain't too bad i mean it's not that bad of a drive to, to wisconsin from where i live in iowa so mm-hmm. might be a rut rut thing i just run up there for the rut hey man right, i'd right. love to have you up here I'll, I'll i have i'll have i'll have a place for you if you want to spend three four five seven eight days <laughs> yeah that's well what are how have your work with with your school schedule and such so I got lots of time off vacation and stuff. I take a lot of days. I save all my time for the fall, man. I got it all planned out. Like everything goes to fall, dude. I don't take any days off any other time of the year, really. I try not to. And then I get that late season. I hunt a lot more than a lot of people because I get that winter break. I get like two weeks off for winter break. So all that holiday stuff. 
you know, I usually don't hunt on Christmas. I might slide out in the morning, maybe if I want to freeze to death, but True. it's been kind of warm the last couple of years. But last year, uh, it was ridiculously warm. Yeah. Except for like January, uh, a buddy of mine from Alabama shot a buck up here and it was like negative seven. I helped him drag it out. <laughs> that was not too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. But Sometimes it'll be like, I've hunted at negative 30 before. I'm pretty tough. I just get out there when I can and whatever weather conditions that I want to be in. I don't like hunting in like heavy rain or storms, but I like to get out there right after that rain ends, you know, and you can move around in that rain a lot because it doesn't make any noise. So mm -hmm. I love wet conditions. The wet's fun. Snow, snow's a blast to hunt in because you can do a lot of tracking. Yes. Yeah. That's why like when when you get into those weird years where there's no snow until late until January or, or late December, it's like, it gets a little frustrating when you want, like, when you want to have that ability to track, especially when all of the leaves have either turned that red or Brown or, or those yeah. colors look just like blood. Uh, and like a, a fun fact for Wisconsin, where I hunt at, we hunt until January 31st. So that is a, uh, an oh, upside. Wow. so yeah, we, yeah. January, September, well, this year was six, the 17th to January 31st. That's a good chunk amount of time to be on the woods. Yeah, Iowa ends January 10th. I think Missouri is a week after that, maybe the 16th, I think. But bad. yeah, I think Ohio runs until like the 31st or it even the February, maybe. No, it runs into the 30. It runs into the 31st. Uh, I had uh, TJ Johnson from uh, Appalachian Chase, and he shot oh, his man. buck the last day of, Oklahoma, uh, of Ohio season last year. And it, he was 160, 170, something like that. Massive buck. And and uh, you would never guess it, but the guy does really well. He's done, he has a really good thriving uh, pool business out no, there, wow. oddly enough, in Maryland. Or no, was it, or was it Delaware? But yeah, it's like, he said, it's like, it's quite odd. Like, we'll, we'll be digging pools and doing yard work and stuff like that because he's 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 been able to scale his business to having a really good reputation. But man, he takes all, just him and his wife, and he takes all, he does, he drives back and forth from there all the way over to uh, um, Ohio quite frequently. There's been times where he was saying that from the rut up until he shot that buck, he was going out there almost every weekend. Yeah, that's that's fun. To me. That sounds fun to me, though. <laughs> oh yeah, right. That he he loves it. He's young. He he's ambitious. He's he's got the uh, he's got the the bank account to be able to help him do that. But you know, he just found the right thing in life and ten xed it and loving life, man. He's doing really really well. Yeah, I love that grind. Um, or you can jump down in Alabama and hunt the rut like for like two months almost. I think because like every part of Alabama has a different rut. It's insane. Like no kidding. it's crazy. Yeah. Cause they, they imported all these deer from different States and they kept their, uh, their rut genetically. So they rut at the same time. So like if you imported deer from Minnesota, they'd, they'd still rut in Alabama when they rut in Minnesota. And if you brought deer from somewhere else, they rut at the same time they rutted where they were from. So you got all these pockets of transplanted deer so they, the rut is crazy down there, man, because you can run that, hunt the rut for like two months. You just bounce around different parts of Alabama. Isn't that something, man? So do you have any uh, bucket list whitetail hunts that you want to hit to you, like, go out to? I know for me, I like to go out. To, it'd be fun to go out there to Arizona or into northern Mexico and do a uh, uh, cow's deer 
a rifle hunting. I'm not that I, I'm not that talented for for a bow, but it'd be fun for a rifle at least. Um, let's see. I think I'm gonna try to go elk hunting next September out in like Colorado, over to counter DIY elk hunt. Awesome. I'd love I'd love to go to Alaska and hunt some like moose or caribou or something up in Alaska. It'd be cool for whitetail for me. Finland, man. Oh, that's right. They yeah, have, you were talking about that. Yeah, they have over like a hundred thousand whitetail deer. They transplanted like ten, and only like six live. But now they got like over a hundred thousand. And wow, there's some guys on like the beast form that live in Finland that saddle hunt, man. And they show these really nice bucks on there. It'd just be cool to go to Finland, like <laughs> just to go whitetail. It'd be awesome. Um, Heck yeah. The, that's definitely i've been looking into how to get that done um new zealand there's like an island you can just go diy hunt out there you just pay for a plane ticket tax you cheap they got a bunch of different species a buddy of mine uh, spencer was talking to me about that that sounds really fun and uh i'd like to go back to like some of the places i lived when i was growing up like uh my grandparents are they had a farm in West Virginia and they're buried there. So I'd like to go to West Virginia just uh, to shoot a buck for my grandparents. I think that'd be like really sentimental yeah, to definitely. me. So I think, I think I might do that soon. Uh, go out there and maybe drop down to some other states. Just fun. I mean, Kentucky. I think I'm going to go to Kentucky next year too. I think that'd be awesome. Definitely. That'd just, be awesome. Especially hook up with like Ben Henderson or Matt Powell. I mean, those guys would help give you some good details, some intel. Yeah. I think I want to hunt the land between the lakes. That has the most appeal to me for some reason, just big giant public land out there. There's yeah. giants I hear that run around out there. Wouldn't surprise me. A sleeper state for moose is Maine. Maine huh. would be a good place to get it. Uh, the uh, talk to the, the guys from the forgotten outdoor or forgotten trails outdoors. They're based, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio area and stuff like that. And they're putting, they're putting, uh, tags up there, putting, putting in for tags point preference points up there in Maine. Cause there's a lot of moose up there and it's not really talked upon because it's, I mean, it's very, it's a very difficult hunt, but it's, it's one of those things that are not, it's something that people overthink overlook for, Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have to look into that. That sounds really cool. I just love hunting, man. I don't care. I'll hunt anywhere. I'll, I'll, I'll waste the tag and I'd go to Michigan and I just love to go. I might go to South Carolina, got some friends down there. I made and uh, go hunt down there just wherever, man. I don't care. I probably don't care about hunting like some states like Florida and stuff. Like, I don't know <laughs> if that's for me or not, but more power to the guys that want to hunt there. But I just, Montana would be cool. I just like traveling and hunting. Canada would be awesome, I think. Yeah. If, if I didn't have uh, a nine-year-old in Minnesota, I would, my wife and I, my wife would agree with me. It's like, we would actually, because we both work remotely. We'll, we would actually just get a nice like spend the money, get a nicer RV or a camper, and just hunt and hunt and fish and drive around. Yeah, I'm I'm actually looking to get out of teaching and then get into a remote job because you just you got my idea, man. I can just have Wi-Fi, right, and have like a satellite internet uh -huh. on my van or whatever I build, and just definitely I can work. I can park in the public land parking lot and work during the day, and then 
when it's go time, I can log out and just run right out in the woods and hunt, man. It'd be awesome. Right. Be like the life right there, dude. Cause I love traveling and seeing new places and the road life doesn't bother me. I'm a military brat. So, I mean, I'm used to moving around it's normal to me like all the moving and stuff mm -hmm. and i don't need i'm a low maintenance kind of guy i don't need any fancy stuff man i rough it i, I just i've slept in some crazy places to go deer hunting you know what i mean it doesn't yeah. bother me at all it wasn't up until i met my wife it's like i i lived out of i could i could pack up and move in one in one setting because like i put i could put everything in a uh, oldsmobile 88 or one of those cutlass supremes it'd be a load all my entire apartment in that right there. that's how that's how basic i am now i i have a collection of stuff so i have a couple of bows a couple of several firearms so now it's like it has to be a little more strategic planning behind something like that but man yeah, yeah it's like that's the idea like when when i got eight, nine years and she hits 18 and hopefully her and hopefully she'll have an idea and what she wants to do and her mom's not leaving so she can just leave live with her mom and it's like my child support's done. I'm getting that money back in my bank account. That's that's tag money now. Yeah, if I tried to move, man, it'd be like moving a Bass Pro Shops. It'd be bad. Like, and then Isn't all my something? mounts and stuff. Like, oh my gosh, it would be bad, man. You have to find somebody that'd be willing to like. You almost have to reach out to some pro shops. Like, hey, I want to. Can you can you store this and say like use this as an advertising thing? Because this way yeah. we just kind of work off. This is, is will pay for its leverage. So it's like this was shot by Eric Rendell in Iowa in, in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all, all galvanting. All my buddies would probably want my mounts, and then they would say they shot them to all their buddies <laughs> when they come over or something like that. <laughs> oh, but. Especially if you have the ones that will 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 have a really good poker face to start start messing with yeah. you, start messing with those people. It's like, no, I didn't shoot it. Yeah, it'd be funny. <laughs> well, man, Eric, this was a this is a fun. I wanted to do something different. I think we achieved it. This was a. I greatly appreciate. It. Thank you for coming on. I mean, this has been a in the works for a long time. So, is there anything you want to let anybody know? To, like, how do cool people reach you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram right now. I'm, I'm messing around with a bunch of other ideas I have for like some other things I'm in the works. So I'll probably be having a YouTube channel soon. It'll just be my name, Rendell Eric. Um, you can just look me up if you have any questions. Feel free to hook me, uh, hit me up. I love talking to people, help anybody out. Um, and just no balls, no bucks, man. Just get in there, and get it done. If you mess up, you mess up. Hunting is, uh, I heard, uh, Dan Infall one time say hunting is just failure. Every time you said you don't kill a deer, you failed. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just you're building failures until you succeed. So don't be afraid to fail. I mean, you're not out anything. I mean, could you kill that buck? Maybe, maybe not. If you bumped him or not, just have fun. Um, kill what you want to. Like, if you want to shoot that buck, uh, shoot that buck. If that what makes you happy, like, don't care what other people say to you or talk. You know, don't worry about that buck bashing crap. Like, mm -hmm. just do what you want. It's your tag, your money, your time, your experience. And just have fun. Like, take the pressure off and just go out there and get it done and just have a blast, make memories. And, you know, don't take it too seriously. There you go. That's some great words of wisdom. And uh, to close it off, do you even hunt beds, bro? 
<laughs> no boss, no boss. There we go. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Bucks America podcast. You can find me streaming all major platforms. I have, I have uh, content on all the major platforms as well, for whether it be YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I'm, I'm everywhere to try to try to introduce people to folks like Rendell Eric and, and Ben Harrison and Matt Powell and Chris Hamm. And just go out there and support the podcast. I appreciate everybody that tuned in tonight. So have a good night, y'all.